Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And we're married, and we have no idea what we're going to talk about today. This is true. We don't. I I feel like I've fallen into more of a uh, coronavirus rut than I would like in terms of getting stuff done and thinking about things. I tried to tell myself that coronavirus has provided me more opportunities because I'm doing less, but I actually think I'm doing a little bit more. And that's not entirely true at all. What? What's not true? That you're doing more? That no, I don't less? think... I think I just changed what I do a little bit during the day. I'm doing more. But I don't even know what day it is. What day we is had it? tacos for dinner yesterday and we had waffles for breakfast today. So that means today. today is Wednesday and yesterday was Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> See this? So we... I think we've mentioned this before. We created a schedule, a daily schedule. Um, mostly for my benefit, honestly. Because even though we homeschool... I, we, we have stuff going on enough days of the week that we have a pattern in our lives. And when we don't have things going on, we have absolutely no rhythm. And at one point, I mean, we're only like a week or two into this, but because of your knee surgery and you getting sick on the heels of your knee surgery, we were like, we're two weeks ahead of the rest of Montana, at least on the, um, stay at home orders and so we'd been staying at home for like three weeks and one of the kids asked what day it was and I was like, doesn't matter. So the next day I thought, I need to do something about that. So we drew up this schedule that includes Taco Tuesday and pasta on Fridays and waffles on Wednesday mornings and pancakes on Saturday mornings. And every day we have something like Mondays, the kids get to play with their Kindles in the afternoon Fridays, no, Thursdays, tomorrow, we have frappes for snacks, which isn't quite as exciting when it's 10 degrees outside. But, you know, the girls will insist on it and Titus will request hot chocolate and Faith will want both because that's what almost two-year-olds do. Okay, so here's a question. We're on the countdown to having our last child be two. How do you feel about that? Way too old. I now that I you know our oldest is nine, it seems a little bit like we shouldn't have a two year old in the house. Like that just it feels way half the time she doesn't feel like my kid. Like I know she is, but she has a kind of I don't even know. It's even just, though it's she looks just now. like you, <laughs> it's just it's just a wash now. It's just it all feels really weird. I don't know. Um, I don't feel sad. I'm over the whole possibly feeling sad thing. Possibly feeling sad about not having oh, any more no kids. Oh, no more babies. No, no more, more baby blah, blah, stuff. Blah. No, I don't feel that way anymore. I actually have had some twinges of that. Like, I don't want any more babies. Like, I haven't had any twinges of that. But, like, the precious little littleness is gone forever from our household. I'm okay with that. I feel way too old to be having any more of the littleness. I have spent... I've actually... I've never been a I'd love to hold your baby sort of person because I wasn't into babies at all prior to having our own. Um, But I've been the baby wearing. I mean, with each kid, I've like done more baby wearing and baby holding with each successive kid. And so um, I feel like 
once faith is old enough that I can be in a public gathering and I don't have to be keeping an eye on her or end up lugging her or lugging an older one for that matter. Um, I think I'm going to be a, oh, can I hold your baby <laughs> sort of person. Hmm. There's just something so precious about like the littleness and the helplessness and the sweetness of their total dependence and just I think the only change that I well I don't miss the other kids being I mean I, I really kind of I love playing with little kids you know like Elisa's age or younger um, I don't miss the other kids being that age though if that if that makes sense but I'm wondering if that's because I already, I always have one in the wings so it's not like a gap that yeah, I'm missing. Am I, I mean, be... are you talking about you love playing with Elise or Faith? Faith, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, Elise, you don't play with Elise. She just you... ends up screaming because she gets yeah, hurt. You, you just... She plays too hard. <clears throat> um. Yeah, like Faith. I, yeah, you know, even it's... the two-year-old. Like, there's something incredibly special about the way they play and the like. You know, you nibble their neck and they just erupt into giggles. And you know, I'm trying to decide like the if I'm toddler, miss the all toddler the... giggles. There's nothing like a toddler giggle. I'm I'm trying to decide if I'm gonna miss the whole discovery thing for the first time. You know, of the where whole, they're like, figuring things figuring out, things out, and everything else. I don't. I think I'm over it. I kind of feel like I'm a little bit over it. I'm not. Maybe over... by the time we get grandchildren, you we'll know? be back into it. But that's true. I, I... I feel like we both kind of live in the moment enough as parents that we don't even like are you know all of the things you're supposed to save and savor from your wedding or your first anniversary and things we're not we're not super sentimental people and I've done a terrible job of no, I mean I love the fact that our keepsakes our, our wedding invitations and program and some of that stuff is framed but that's because your our, sister did it for us. Yeah, I know. And I'm so thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful she did it that too. she did that. Because then because, I don't feel obligated to save it in right. some other capacity. Right. I mean, there's a couple of things that I want to save, but I'm like, I don't, I have a hard time letting go of this because it represents X, Y, and Z. But maybe there's, you know, like a red futon, that red futon. It was the first piece of furniture you and I ever bought together. Uh, I named my film company after it. Did a whole bunch of stuff under that brand. And I was really happy with that, but it, this started breaking. It just broke down because it's a futon. It's a five hundred dollar futon, four hundred dollar futon, six hundred dollar futon. I don't even know. It was red. It was vinyl. It was very cool. Um, but I didn't want to get rid of it, so I thought, well, somebody said, well, just cut a square out, and I thought, yeah, that'd be cool. I'll cut a square out. I'll put a couple. I'll make another large frame, kind of like we did for our invitations. Cut the square of vinyl out, and then add a couple of the key projects I did under that, and hang it up on the wall, and call it good. I was like, that'd be fun. Did you do that? I, I cut the vinyl out, the square of vinyl, but I have not done anything else. It's sitting. I cut a square out so it has the button, the vinyl button. In the uh, okay. um, it's sitting in the garage. I haven't done anything beyond that because. Time and life. Where am I going to hang more pictures? We've got two boxes of broken frames, working frames and pictures and artwork sitting in the garage. I don't want any more. And it's like, we're, we're out of wall space. We have no wall space. Now they, now we've got four other beings in the house that are going to put their Use own their stuff. their own wall space. Because in, in our other house, now that I think about it, 
when we had when you themed, moved in, every single room had yeah, artwork on the wall. We had themed rooms and the whole thing. Well, because no so for example, one of the themed rooms was my grandfather, my mom's father, was in the Korean War, and if I remember correctly, he was stationed in Japan during the Korean War, or he visited a, a, mm-hmm. a station in Japan or something, but he bought some Japanese artwork. And it's four framed pieces. They were framed in Japan, so they've got like bamboo frames. And those, after my grandparents died, those ended up in my possession. And so they're, I mean, they're 50 years old. They're a memento of a grandfather, grandparents who are now gone, of military service that I value. And so there was a room in which those were hung and i mean they're four i mean they're sizable pictures mm-hmm. like two feet by two feet at least and um just very i mean they're not famous artists or anything but it's very traditional japanese artwork and so the theme of that room was taken off of that like the bedspread was blue because of the blue waves in all of the pictures so yeah those are now in a closet because i don't even want to hang them on a wall in a hallway i thought about hanging them in the hallway in the basement hallway. We've lost, we've had two casualties in that hallway so far. And also, the hall itself has dents in it. The walls have mm-hmm. dents in them. I have no desire to hang irreplace, irreplaceable artwork that has sentimental value somewhere that is a high target area. Instead, they're stuffed in a box in the garage. Okay, speaking of high target areas, this is a way off topic. But I think I've told you this before. I follow Victor Marks on Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram. So he's a, like, I can't, is he a Navy SEAL, Marine? I can't remember. Like, he was a special ops military guy who now does high-risk Christian missions. If you haven't ever heard of him, um, he he works in partnership a lot with Dave Eubanks with the Free Burma Rangers, who's also into more high-risk missions. Yep, my buddy Brent. Google just made a film called Free Burma Rangers. Yes. And so Victor Marx is actually featured in that sound. Funny story. You, well, I think you knew this, that but you, one of the gals I worked with during some film stuff from here in Billings would go over and film documentaries with Victor Marx a lot. Yeah. He's a super, cool. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't agree a hundred percent with his theology, but he's, he's all in. He, I mean, he's, yeah, <clears throat> but he, he is totally walks the walk in terms of he will put it all on the line to, for a, you know, a Muslim, somebody who has literally been shooting at him. He'll preach the gospel to them after he drags them out of the streets where there's shooting going on. But um, anyway, he and his wife, not only do they have highly, highly trained uh, dogs, they have these dogs that cost like tens of thousands of dollars because they're so highly trained. Um, and his dog just had puppies and he keeps posting puppy pictures on Instagram and people are like I'd like to buy one of your puppies and he's like they're available through the specialty training place we got our dog through and they're probably I mean they're really people expensive. have no idea how much these dogs are going to cost but also where I was going with this when I said you're um and I'm talking about our hallway being a high target area he and his wife have these down vests that they will model and then post the link to every now and then but they're actually bullet resistant I don't think he would think call them. I showed you it. Yeah. Um, they're not. They're not bulletproof. They're bullet resistant. Is the t- phrase he used? Um, but he posted a picture of his wife wearing hers on Instagram today, 
And first of all, I just find it incredibly fascinating that you would live such a lifestyle just by your mission focus that you would find it necessary just to wear a bullet resistant down vest all the time. But I just think it's, I love how inventive people are that somebody, somebody came up with that. It looks like, um, if it sounds like I'm sitting away from the microphone I am, I'm looking at my computer. sounds like there's a company called Innocent Armor. That might be it. The page will not load. Maybe it'll load on your phone. But Innocent Armor. And given how hard, because I did church security for a while, and I really kind of wanted some sort of tactical vest to wear under my... Um, some armor plates or something to wear under my yep, dress shirts. it is innocent armor. There's this wife modeling her down vest. That is amazing. I want. But given how hard it was to find, you know, to find, uh, to find even a, a bulletproof armored, like armored plates, because, I mean, I think we heard, you know, you heard stories in the media about how the military was running out of them, right? Mm-hmm. Civilians, it was even harder for us to get them. So I couldn't get them, but if I can get something like that, that that work. I'd wear you that. You can get 10% off when you use the special code VICTOR. How much do they run? I don't know. I have to go to innocentarmor.com for it. Hmm. Anyway. So they wear it like they were recently in North Africa, and they were wearing it. So if you're with Innocent Armor, send us a couple. We'll check it out. It'll yeah. be really cool. <laughs> we live in Montana, so we'd wear them almost all the time. <laughs> Just for fun. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, I wonder how heavy they are. I don't know. So um, I'm getting a failed to load message. Yeah, it's the same thing I got. Maybe it's not around anymore. No, he just posted that yesterday or today. Oh, it's probably our firewall at the house. It could be. I was just going to turn off, do what I always do when I get a firewall message when I'm trying to find a drink recipe. Our house is so secure, cyber secure, that we can't even get out. Um, Most of the time it's fine. So another question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the most interesting thing that you think you've done um, in the last month? Wow. Uh, my life is pretty stinking boring, I think. Um, the most interesting... uh what have i done in the last month you know i'm not gonna say like i've done there's some i counted up today that i think so we the family for the last couple of years has been well minus molly and faith of course has been participating in judo at one of the dojos here in town and um Got involved helping them out, do website stuff and media and content marketing and things like that. Anyway, the quarantine hit. And so they called and said, hey, we've been wanting to do some instructional videos. How do you feel about that? I'm like, let's let's do it. Let's make it happen. So for the last three weeks, we've been showing up on Monday nights for three or four hours and filming a variety of Taekwondo and Judo techniques. And I just counted them up today. We've done probably close to 50 videos. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that is a lot of videos. Now, some of them are only a minute long, but these are these are forms, um, you know, throwing techniques, uh, blocking techniques, guarding, kicking, all you know, all the uh, turnovers, anything related to judo and taekwondo. We've done like fifty of them. So I, that's that's up at the 
at the top of my list because I mean I just it was kind of struck by how many videos we put out in the last three weeks and I was like ah it's fifty. Are you guys gonna wow. use them as promotion at all or um, just behind the paywall? Or right now, just behind the paywall. <laughs> um, but they're looking at. <coughs> We're looking at some subscription options so people that aren't members, already existing students of the dojo have access. But uh, some of the stuff is going to be marketing. Like I recut them into marketing, like the self-defense videos. I think I'll use those. We'll use those as marketing. But um, I don't have access to the Facebook page, so I only make them and send them on. But um, So that's that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, threw down a 17-minute drum and bass mix over my first cup of coffee last week. That was also pretty cool because I was spinning three decks at once. And when you have, and if you don't know anything about drum and bass music, it's a genre of electronic dance music and it runs at about 170 BPM, 170, 175 beats per minute. So it's really fast, really hard, goes with my metal loving nature. Um, but it's a lot of beats. So I have three different decks. I mean, I have three tracks playing at once and I'm mixing them together. And that was How are you mixing them? Fun. These are not actual decks. This is all electronic. <clears throat> it is all electronic, but each one... So sort of like having... <laughs> you basically have three iPods running at once, and all of them are beat matched, so they're all synced up with each other. And then you can blend them together with EQ. So you can spin out in... in DJ EQs mixers are generally different than your standard audio mixer. Like some really nice audio mixers will have all the features, but the generic kind of most, what most people have, like why I would have it here in the studio, you know, would, would not have some of this audio sculpting capabilities and filters and different things to cut out whole sounds. So you can cut out whole parts of a track. Like I can take a track that has vocals and synth and drums and bass and I can kill the drums and bass. So it's nothing but vocals and synth. So then I can lay those vocals in synth over a different drum track. And then I can tweak that drum track so it's only the low part of the EQ. And then I can bring in a third drum track that's the upper low part. So I've got three different tracks running and it's so much fun. It's addicting. It's, it's, I get kind of high off of it. It's really fun. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like that's, I'd had those mixers sitting around since I bought them years ago. Like it's cheap. It's like 50 bucks, 40 bucks for it controller and tractor was a hundred dollars like, yeah, i'll do this let's try it give it a shot it's super fun super fun it's purely so you know if if anyone <laughs> is still out there listening <laughs> after that incredible moment of geekery that um, <laughs> honestly kind of lost me too um i'll stop um you know how <clears throat> They say that over the course of your marriage, you're married to like a dozen different people. Oh, yeah. I feel like you've turned into a different person and I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> who I'm now married to. It's, I think it's less. I'm actually being very serious. Oh. I'm not joking. You literally, for weeks now, oh. have put the kids to bed and disappeared downstairs and if the kids are up and you're farting around in here, it's reverberating through the house. But otherwise, you have your headphones on and you're like, I mean, honestly, I've checked to make sure you're not watching porn sometimes down here because you are gone. This is way better than porn. For it's, hours. It's less. I think it's less. It. It's kind of like finding a new hobby that just or something to do that just grabs you 
at the core. And you just, you can't like, I, I was actually thinking about this today because Titus and I were talking about, um, Titus has been, today he was, um, he was particularly um, challenging. Uh, he, he would follow me around. What are you doing, Dad? What are you doing? Which normally I don't mind. I'm like, well, I'm going to the bathroom. Or what are you doing? Well, I'm going to go down and, and dust some stuff in my studio because it's just collected dust and I haven't done it in weeks. Well, can I come? Well, yeah, sure, I guess. Do you have anything to do? No, I'm kind of bored. You know, and then you pick on his sisters and all this other stuff. So I asked Titus, like, Titus, is there anything right now? What are, like, the things that you you would just love to spend all your time doing that you just can't wait to get back to doing? What are those things? And he didn't have any today, which is really weird because half the time it's, like, Legos or he's got his nose in a book or something like that. And so we were talking about that a little bit. And... I was kind of reflecting with me, there's kind of three things that I love doing right now um, that <clears throat> don't you know, don't pay any money. Only one of them has any reasonable remote chance of ever making any money. But the three, the three things are, are, I love, I love screenwriting. I love doing the DJ stuff. And then, you know, I've had all of these free tools for years. So I've been, I've been noodling around with making my own electronic music and that's a whole nother, whole nother genre. But I was doing that back in college too, but quit cause life took a different turn. Um, <clears throat> but those are like the three things. And I was like, like, I just, I'm always thinking about them. Like I just, I want to get back to those three things. And so I have to, I've found that even with me, I have to have a schedule and say, okay, well yesterday I played around with this music track. So today I need to work on this script or cause I want to do all these three things all the time. And I'm like, man, I haven't even, and that's probably only because my ACL's blown and I can't ride my bike. But yeah, I, those are those <clears throat> three things that I just, I can't, I'm like obsessed with all three of them all the time. I mean, what, like last fall, it was like four months of nothing but full-time research on that TV show. That's it. I get obsessive about things and I just <clears throat> straight, I, I go head first. Yes. <clears throat> I don't disagree with that, but I feel like the electronic music thing is like you've turned up the dial on the obsession as well as the it takes practice it's like i should i should be obsessing about my banjo and you should be i bought you banjo lessons i know it's so hard birthday. i feel like tito because it requires a lot of listening to really really poor recordings and practicing tab tablature um, which is that on steroids and it's like super it like i was sat i only got we Titus and I sat down to work on this train set yesterday. There's a train set behind Which, us. Which, by the, the way, he wasn't done with school yet. So that was like his get out of jail free card. <clears throat> well, Dad needs help with me. Well, I my help on this project. Didn't know that. Okay, so <laughs> you called him down in the middle of the morning. Well, he was wandering around, not doing anything. The kids are like reading. They're just lollygagging around upstairs. So I I assume they were like I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> you can generally assume that they're not free to be, I know. be called away from me before <laughs> noon at least. So, well, I, I brought him down and we started working on this train set and it's, I've got this vision kind of in my head of a double, of a two tiered train set, but I've got limited space. I've got a single four by eight sheet of plywood and the angle is kind of how everything is, how long it takes to get up and down the graduated part. Um, it just, it actually started to make my brain kind of hurt and it, it turned, I couldn't think anymore. Like I li I could not think anymore. Um, I was like, I and I've and there's other things in the world that I think really hard about and I can do for hours and hours and hours but for some reason this 
type of engineering just sort of super taxed me. That's the way I feel about like learning to play the banjo. I desperately want to learn. I need to sit down and learn, but I can only do it in short, in short snippets because my brain just like turns to mush. I think that's how Titus feels about music too. Yeah. Both piano and guitar, which by the way, I think you need to actually physically sit down with him. Not, and show him those like chords. When he's 14 or 15, you could give, you could hand a kid a guitar and a chord right. chart and be like, figure it out. But he doesn't even know, like, he doesn't know what a chord is. Ah, that's a good point. <laughs> so we printed out, Tito's been walking into the studio in the last couple of weeks and saying, hey, dad, can I play a guitar? Well, sure. It's actually technically your mom's guitar, but go ahead. So he wanders off and plays it, but he has no idea what to play. So I printed off some basic chord charts based on keys and then had him draw, <clears throat> drew his hand out um, and numbered his hand because, you know, you can know what finger to place on what thing, thinking that might be good for him, but I don't, it probably wasn't good for him. He tried it today because he was wandering He was around. really frustrated. He was punching his sisters. But yeah, I can do that. I have two, two guitars. I can show him. You have two guitars? Yeah, I've got that electric one. That doesn't work very well. Oh. Anyway, I think he needs, he needs, he's not old enough to be given tools and told, go, go do something with this in that regard. What did I tell, what did I tell him to go do today? Um, something out in the garage. Oh, I said, go, I was like, you need to go put, you need to figure out how to put the wheel back on the lawnmower, which is basically just putting it on the lugs and screwing it on. And he was like, I can't do that. Sure you can. No, he can't. Yes, he can. He's nine. Kids in, in in Laura Ingalls Wilder were doing this stuff when they were like seven. I was driving a tandem axle dump truck when I was his age. Because you, were, you rode along with it. He's never seen this done before. There's a whole pedagogy, like oh. a whole theory of teaching that says like, you watch me do it and then you do it with me and or then I teach you how to do it. And then you do it with me and then you do, or I, you watch, and then I watch you while you do it and then you're able to do it. Like it's a whole, like, like there's a, a series of steps here and, you know, to say you should be able to go fix this, um, he hasn't, sure, kids his age could do this, but he hasn't had okay. all of the steps backing up. That makes sense. Now, remember, I was homeschooled my entire life. I had no formal pedagogy about anything. I don't even know what a pedagogy is. I just, there's just ways Pedagogy I is the science of teaching. Yeah. That's why you um, No, I, I didn't get, I got this from Katie Faust. Oh. What's the most interesting thing you've done in the last couple of weeks? Honestly, I haven't really done anything that interesting. <laughs> I haven't. Um... I I don't think anything I've done is very interesting, but other people find yeah. random things interesting. So things that have sparked <clears throat> sparked joy for me. I tried mm -hmm. a new sourdough bread recipe today because um, I was getting tired of my the one the sandwich bread recipe I've used for I don't know nine months now. So I switched it up, and I'm pleased with the results. So you know that's exciting, and I'm also sending your sister a sourdough sample mm. so she can start doing her own sourdough and that makes me excited get her on board give her some lessons and now you're sending her I the starter yeah i'm gonna send her the starter i think she'll nail it because she's got 
you 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 Friesens have bread making in your blood. Like, I don't. Did I tell you about the time I tried to make bread? You guys, your listeners are like this. So it was in my first marriage and I'd gotten laid off from a job. Maybe I was fired and I was probably fired. I don't even remember. But I, I didn't have work. And so I stayed home feeling like I needed to be productive um, because that's the kind of marriage I was in. I couldn't just stay home. So while I was not looking for work, I was still trying to be productive at home and I decided to make bread. And it was a disaster. It was a horrible disaster. I remember calling my mom, asking her a couple questions, and it was just bad. Because I'm not, I'm not a precision person. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a kind of a more uh, generalist. See, here's the nice and thing. And I heard you have to be really precise when baking. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's close enough. That's sort of true. Um, as I told your sister, the one with five kids... I said, a lot of people treat sourdough like, like literally the entire United States is blowing up with making sourdough right now. There's because nobody has anything to do. People are stuck at home <laughs> and it's this slow, uh, you know, according to, to mythology or something, it's this slow labor intensive. So one of the Instagram feeds that I follow, she's, she's got on board with it because her daughter, her preteen daughter wanted to try it. And she's like, this is like having a fussy newborn and you have to feed it multiple times a day and all these precise timelines for it. And I'm like, I told Carrie, I was like, this is not, people are treating this like it's their first child. Treat it like it's your fourth child. Okay. Because you can get pretty dang good results. That's, that's a great analogy. You can get pretty dang good sourdough results treating this like a fourth child. So the way that I do it is following the artisan bread in five minutes a day methodology. And I don't feed my sourdough starter. You put it in the fridge. You ignore it for a few weeks. I've never ignored a fourth born for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Pretty but, couple of hours. But for sure, yes. <laughs> when other people have said, I think your baby's hungry, maybe you should feed it. I've been like, she'll be fine, I'm busy. And that's how the sourdough starter is. Like, you're busy, it's fine. Keep it in the fridge, you stall the bacteria from going on. Which, by the way, I also gave your kids a little primer in, this is in how <laughs> sourdough works. Because they were like, I can't remember what they were asking me about today with the bread. But, oh, why about it rising? Because the first rise with this new recipe took longer than she said it should. Mm -hmm. She said it should only take one to three hours. And I normally let bread go overnight, but I was too lazy to get my starter already last night. So I did the whole process today and it rose the first rise most of the most of the day, which is fine with me anyway, because that's how the bacteria are breaking down the proteins that are hard for our bodies to digest and creating the good fermented, the stuff that makes it a good fermented food for you. Um, so the long, the long ferment is fine with me on multiple levels, but I just was thinking out loud and said something like, man, it's taking a lot longer than she thought it should for the first rise. And the kids were like, what's that? And I was like, so remember that Dr. Binox video about why we fart? And they were like, bacteria <laughs> I was like <laughs> YouTube for the win <laughs> so the gases that are produced when bacteria are breaking down food in your tummy is pretty much exactly what's going on in the bread there's bacteria that's breaking down 
proteins and starches in the bread and it releases a gas and that gas is the little air pockets that make bread fluffy. It's not like a cracker where it's flat or and hard, it's fluffy because of the gases released by the bacteria. And they were like, oh. <laughs> so anyway. Um, they felt that same way when I was showing them how I can virtual instruments on the keyboard. And it's like, I can pull up this sound and this sound and this sound. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. Can we go back upstairs now? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's how wow moments with kids are. But anyway, so the way I treat my sourdough normally is I... I roughly divide it in half. I always do a third of a cup of flour, but I don't like spoon it in and level it off to multiply my starter. And then I add, for my basic loaf that I make at least once a week to go with dinner. I scratch my beard in the sourdough. I add, that's disgusting. I add a teaspoon of salt, a cup of water. That's precise. And then I add flour until I feel like I've added enough. I honestly could not even tell you how many, approximately how many cups. If I had two cups or if I had four cups of flour, I just stir it until I feel like, yeah, you know, looks good to me. And then I put a plate over the top of the bowl and I let it sit for the next 18 hours or 16 or 20. (laughs) And then if I forget about it and it's too late to shape it into a loaf and let it rise again and bake it for dinner, I put it in the fridge (laughs) And deal with it in the next two or three days. It's actually easier to shape when it's cold. And then I let it rise, sometimes for an hour after it's been shaped, sometimes for three or four hours. I don't know. I mean, and it, I mean, I have burned the bottom before and rendered the bottom inedible. But otherwise, I can't think of the last time I made a loaf of bread that was inedible. I can't think of a single time you've made a loaf of bread that wasn't edible. I forgot to add the salt once, but that was a long time ago. It was it at was least still, two years ago. It was still edible. It just required a lot of butter. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, but anyway, so so the new sourdough recipe was, took a little bit more fussing because I actually because I don't even need my basic artisan loaf that I make. I don't even need that. I just stir it and then let the gluten's develop through the fermenting process, and I mean. It's better than a loaf of bread that you'd buy at Costco, and it costs a fraction of the amount. Um, so anyway, that um, I I would consider it a little bit of a triumph, having a new recipe and then getting to pass on all of my sage wisdom to somebody else. I love your bread. Did that come out as creepy as I... You no. tried to make it sound. No, I did not try to make it sound creepy <laughs> at all. No, it didn't. It didn't actually can't come say out anything anymore. Okay. Creepy at That's all good. this time. And here you thought we weren't going to have anything to talk about. <sighs> My other thing, again, this is just geeky homeschool mom kind of small stuff, is I found a couple of new Spanish YouTube channels to show the kids, which I'm always trying to expand my repertoire of things that I can do to teach the kids Spanish without paying for it. Um, and so, I mean, I've paid for stuff. I've bought books um, and whatnot, but I've found like two or three new YouTube channels that I feel like get the job done pretty well. I mean, I could probably find a good actual curriculum if I needed to, but when my kids walk up to me and ask me a question in Spanish or very, you know, 
Elise is teaching Faith how to say milk in Spanish. I feel like I can't be doing a terrible job with my free resources currently. That's awesome. So anyway, kids have been doing a lot of Spanish lately, which is on their own, which is fun. They've been doing a lot of things on their own. What's what's with the the recent uptick in playing the practicing on the piano rather than the keyboard? Oh, we took last week before Easter off from the piano just to switch things up a little bit. We did. Um, I took the week off from our curriculum and just did a couple of bare minimum, and then integrated Easter stuff into the whole week. So we read some sort of Easter story every day. We did Easter songs on YouTube. Um, but also I wanted them, I printed out simple piano sheet music, um, which one of them turned out to not be quite as simple as I thought it was. Cause Titus is finally in the computer program that we're doing, getting to like m- moving his hands around instead of just starting mm-hmm. with your fingers in one position and then maybe stretching like your pinky a little bit. Um, and one of the two songs that I printed out, there was quite a bit of moving your hands around, which was confusing for them. And confusing for me because I don't, I'm learning along with them. Um, But we took a break from the computer, which they loved because the computer is challenging for them. And they just played um, Christ the Lord is Risen Today and Up from the Grave Heroes for the week on the piano. So that was the uptick. Yeah, it seems like they had a little more interest in it recently. But sometimes you got to change things up. Yeah, that was... You know, kind of like you got to change up your sourdough recipe. Yeah. And um, I realized today, I also didn't have to bribe them with chocolate chips to play on the piano, which I do have to do. That's why we have a bowl of chocolate chips next to our computer, as you know, because... Because I snack on them. When they start... Well, so does Faith. Oh, Oh, did I tell you? My The other night we were down here. I don't know where you were. You were out driving around because you were over it. Um, I had to go to the store. Faith disappeared, and I walked upstairs... And she was on the table and she had like a handful, like her mouth was full of chocolate chips. So she had another handful going in. I was like, yeah, oh, I came uh. into the room today and Titus, I was, Titus was getting frustrated and cause it is a pretty challenging piece that he's having to work on right now. And it's a, it's like a computer program game and in order to move on you have to hit a certain number of notes correctly um and he is not i mean he's been working on this for at least two weeks and then we took a week off so he's gone backwards so now he's frustrated and you know smashing his head into the keyboard and i was like well have you had a chocolate chip yet and he and faith looks at me goes more she does more with her mouth and her hands and i was like okay, you can have one too. And Titus was like, uh, she and I have each had about six. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so it was like a one for me, one for you. She, it's so funny. The things that she picks up like the other day, she's insane. Maybe it was just yesterday. She was at the keyboard because I hadn't taken it away from the computer yet. And she was just lining chocolate chips all along the keyboard. (laughs) No doubt with the intent of eating them. And I took all but like three away and the rest of the chocolate chip bowl. And um, it, I just, I'm amazed sometimes at what she picks up and does. Like it just, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. The kids have been doing typing, which is fun. Are they enjoying it? Because I remember learning how to type with those programs where you'd be like, and try to score like super fast mm-hmm. word per minutes and get like that. I loved it. I had a ton of fun. I don't, are they having fun with that? Or is it? Um, 
It's the novelty has worn off because we've now been doing it. I started the typing program when all of the lockdowns went on because I've been meaning to do it for both of them. But it was like one more thing to add in and I hadn't found a program that I liked. And then in the kajillion resources that people have been recommending without really needing to to all the people who now all of a sudden have their kids at home like hey I know you're overwhelmed and filled with anxiety and your kids are overwhelmed and filled with anxiety and grieving all the things that they've lost but here are 400 things that you could be doing to not waste your life while your kids are home and you've got all these things and they're asking for snacks and you're trying to work so anyway I I think homeschoolers have actually found those like long-term homeschoolers have found those lists more useful than the others so I found a typing program through one of those lists and we started it and it was very novel for a while. And now it's like more than just the home keys. And so it's frustrating. And Titus is using the wrong fingers to reach for keys. And so I'm trying to correct him so he doesn't develop bad habits from the get go. And that's very frustrating to him. So we went back the other day to just doing, they'd added T and P. So he just was like T, 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 P, 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 T, P, T, P. And it was funny to him because he was typing T, P. Um, so anyway, you know, we're kind of a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. I remember when they first started, they were watching a video and this video was really poo-pooing, um, people who hunt and peck, you know, you want to learn how to type well, so you don't have to hunt and peck and take, and I just kind of laughed, I kind of chuckled and I said, Hey Tito, that's what your grandpa does. He hunts and pecks. He's really fast at it too. He's a really fast hunter pecker. <laughs> <laughs> the the hunting pecking skill has probably come in well for all of the people who are now hunting and pecking with their thumbs. Yeah, right. You know, because there's no touch typing on all of our phones. We yeah. all, you know, do the same technique just on a small. I was computer. really happy when iOS started doing like the swipe, makes it easier to text and drive. I don't. I I don't get that stuff. I'm such a luddite. I all these new things, these newfangled, newfangled things. Newfangled gizmos. Well, we're at 43, well, 40, 40 minutes. Do you have anything more you want to talk about? We could um, ramble on. We could ramble on. I cooked eggs in the Instant Pot for Easter. I saw that on the Instagram. Well, yes. I also experienced it in real life, but you I just did. kind of said that for the show. I have never. <clears throat> I've tried a lot of different techniques for easy peeling. These eggs peel like a dream. They peel so well. Even the ones that, like, exploded because the first batch mm -hmm. I did was on high pressure and not low pressure, they, it just, the peels just slid right off. Well, I know when we, it, you made that comment when we were doing Easter egg dipping with the kids and, and Faith kind of quit dipping and just started peeling a cracked one and eating it. Uh, she ate it three. Was, yeah, but she, she peeled, was peeling them really. Yeah. She's I, so She's also got the dexterity they, of a monkey or something but. right but they peel so well a two-year-old can effectively peel it without getting like eating the shells so anyway i haven't I peeled mean, one of those yet i mean honestly on the scale of first world problems and life-changing things this doesn't really rate but if you're stuck at home and you also have four kids who highly value dying easter eggs and so you walked out of costco thankful before Easter that they had lifted the, the limit on eggs because each of your kids needed two dozen eggs. To, so now you have four dozen. Actually, I only did. And we eat no, those no, no, no. in approximately a I, week. I so. cooked six dozen 
six dozen eggs. So we don't usually eat that many hard-boiled eggs, and to be painstakingly peeling ones that didn't peel well, I'd probably just give up at some point. Um, But we're having hard-boiled eggs for lunch every day this week. You know what I'm super obsessed with, too? No. Planting trees. Yes. I cannot get it out of my head, like where I'm going to plant, what I'm going to plant. I'm just, I'm I'm Are you going to, how are you going to get the holes dug? I'll suffer with my left leg. Ooh. I'll suffer when it's wet. I'll wait till we've got some. I don't know. I I really want to plant some trees. Fortunately, the cherries that you bought at Costco for $10 each probably don't need super big holes because they're not going to be big enough to bear fruit for another 10 years. No, but if, I, if I'm if digging in the yard, the other holes went really, really well. Like I didn't have to jump up and smash things. And But maybe by then they'll give me clearance to... I could probably also dig a, a little hole for you. Six little holes. I'm thinking like a dozen total. I think my total counts like Well, you have 12, to pay me in back rubs, but I could probably dig a couple of holes for you. I also have a nine-year-old boy. Yeah, that's true. We can work on our pedagogy. That is not an appropriate use of that term. Hmm. I've always found the term just hard to say, much less. Yeah, some people I think say pedagogy. Pedagogy, pedagogy, pedagogy. No, pedagogy. it's definitely pedagogy. It's definitely pedagogy. not that. Pedagogy. Definitely not. Now I'm going to be subconscious. <clears throat> Did do I you, say pedagogy correctly? How do you How before? do you feel about our lack of watching the latest things on streaming platforms? Um, the latest things being Tiger King and anything else. I don't watch anything. I know apparently there's would... one named Ozark that's really big too. Oh, Ozark's been huge for a while. Oh, by the way, that was another thing about that video I was telling you about beforehand, which I'll try to find like a way to link it permanently because okay. it was a very funny woman talking to her future woman four months ago talking to her future self of right now and she's giving clues about what her life is going to be like and like just this woman just has you know four months ago we just have no idea but anyway one of the things last things she's, she's like how much do you know about big cats and the people who own them and the gal's like nothing and she's like perfect <laughs> <laughs> um uh, you know, I finished watching. Uh, we don't even watch it. How much longer do we want to go? So I, as long as we want, it's I could go on and on about this Netflix show, Love Is Blind. We need to. If you're gonna go, that's another episode. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. Okay, because I could go on and on. Because you did, it. you did binge watch that. If you, binge I did. I finished it. I don't have. It. You know, I'm gonna be totally honest with you and everybody on the. There are so many other things I'd rather do than sit down. Yeah, sure, I'd love to go watch the latest stuff on TV and just do nothing. But I'd rather come in here and goof off with music or I've noticed read a book or something. Like there's or so many. I feel like that's music. more. I feel like it's more productive. You know, it's like trying to be creative and do something rather than there's other things I'd rather do. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't been reading as much lately as I should. I read a couple of chapters. I'm reading a new Eric Larson book called The Splendid and the Vile. It basically chronicles, uh, it's so far it's been chronicling Winston Churchill just prior to World War II. And it's a lot of fun. But I can only get in, because I go to bed late, I can only get in a few pages before I fall asleep. I, I guess I do actually read a lot. Just not to myself, I read out loud. We're almost done with the story of Gladys Alward in this missionary series that we've been reading. And that woman... Holy I've never even heard cow. of her. 
she, in a nutshell, she was a maid from England who wanted, felt called to be a missionary in China and got rejected by the China Inland Mission, which was the only thing around at that point. Mm -hmm. This is in the 1930s. And they were like, you're not smart enough to learn Chinese. Your Bible knowledge is bad. You'll never cut it. You're not, it's like, we're going to give your spot in the program to somebody who's going to cut it better as a missionary. So she literally worked as a housemaid till she saved up enough money for a train ticket. So she took a boat across the English Channel, hopped on a train, and rode a train through Europe and then across Russia. And they had sort of faintly warned her when she bought the... And she took the train versus going by boat because it was like it was a fraction of the cost. And she was paying all of this out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So she spent... She, she got on the train with literally like five pounds in her pocket. Absolutely no money. And she had found this retired missionary who moved back to England, didn't fit in there, and so just went back with her English pension. Um, and so she had somehow gotten connected with her with a couple of letters and the lady was like, yeah, if you can get here, I'll take you in. I'll meet you here. Lady didn't think she would show up. Uh, she, 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 the story is just like, it. there are movies about her because it's so nuts. She gets to one stop away from where she's supposed to get off in Russia and the Russian and the Chinese are having a border war. And so the train guy is like, you know, she doesn't speak Russian, but he's like, the train is off. Like, they do this whole pantomime to show her. They're killing people, like, on the other side of this platform, this train platform. You can't go any further that way. The train is not allowed to go back until it's full of dead bodies of Russian soldiers. So we might be here for a day. We might be here for a week. You have to walk back to the next station. So in the dead of winter, in a snowstorm, wearing a secondhand fur coat that didn't have sleeves and carrying two cardboard suitcases, she walks like 30 miles uphill back to the next train station in Russia. Wow. Then she she literally collapses on the platform and gets put in jail by the Russian people who, have, who can't figure out why she's there. Anyway, she finally manages to get like put on a different train line gets further along, like, more south in Russia. And then the Russians decide that on her passport, where it says missionary, that she's a machinist, because that's the closest thing they can come up with that starts with that. So they're going to capture her and send her to work in a camp at a factory in Siberia. And some beautiful Russian maid, like, like, maiden, not maid, like, intercepts her in a hotel and is like, meet some random guy here in the middle of the night and he'll take you to a boat and you have to beg this Japanese guy to let fishing guy to let you on his boat she finally ends up in China lady lady doesn't meet her so she takes this like 30... well obviously there's been so many delays now no no no. So... the lady didn't think she was ever gonna come oh so it takes her like <clears throat> multiple days of just totally mind-blowing like, you can't make this up, sort of travel. The last two days of her trip, after this chain of meeting people who were like, oh, Mrs. Larson doesn't live here anymore. Mrs. Larson lives at the top of that mountain. She had to ride in a basket strapped to the back of a mule to the top of the mountain. And then World War II breaks out, and the Japanese are bombing the Chinese villages that she lives in and that she's been a missionary in. And um, she ends up, all these, you know, war goes on. 
she keeps taking in orphaned children. Pretty soon she's in charge of 200 children and ends up taking like a 20-day trek through the mountains to try to get them out of the war zone. And that's where we are in the book right now. It's nuts. It's Do you... totally nuts. Um, that makes me feel anyway. like I've, I, I just, I, I have never, I would have given up a long. Oh, I would, I would have been what dead would it like, on the first train it, platform. What's it like to have the quote unquote calling to persevere through all of that and still, or to go through part of it and go, no, this is still what I'm supposed to do. Like, I've never had that certainty, even remotely that amount of certainty about anything in my entire life. I, it's, it's remarkable. I, I, I think, I'm, it... I never grew up reading biographies like that. And, I mean, we had them lying around. And mm-hmm. I would try and I didn't find them interesting at all. And I love the fact that it, maybe it's just the way that this particular series is written. And then there's an Amazon series called The Torchlighters that that we also have watched that features a couple of them. Um, but um, I I don't know, but it's really inspiring. And I hope that somehow it's impacting our kids' trust in God that so many times along here, she's like, and I mean, they remember all of these people that we've read about. Because we've now done David Livingston, Cameron Townsend. We were supposed to do Nate Saint, but Cameron Townsend took me too long. Um, Amy Carmichael and George Mueller. So we're now on our fifth biography and there are all these people who are like, well, if, if God wants me to do this, God will provide. And he does. I, I mean, you know, and it's not always in the way that he wants, see, like, they, like see, David they, Livingston's these, wife died in the people, jungles. How do these people get to the point where they're like, if God wants me to do this, like, how do they even get to that point where they believe that's what God wants them to do? Um, that's a, that's a piece that I feel like either I once had and lost or never never had to begin with that is like lacking in my life. So I'm asking you for life counsel at this point. It seems like at least in the way these books are written, it's both a combination of baby steps of faithfulness, where um, they they have a little bit of trust that God will do this little thing, and He does, and so they're like, well, if if He did this for me then I can trust that he'll do do this for me. Um, or, you know, I mean, a lot of them have overcome a lot of diversity, like David, or adversity. David Livingston was incredibly poor and felt called to be a doctor. He wanted to go to China, actually, as a doctor, and then war broke out, and he wasn't able to, I think it was World War One. I, I can't remember when he was alive, but, um, but um, in the British the the mission to China was basically shut down and so he's like well I guess I can go to Africa as my second choice and then he ended up being the most famous explorer of inland Africa in the world um but um you know the they've overcome incredible adversity all of them um but also it seems like all of them had at least the way the books are written key points in their lives like near death experiences or the death of a parent or Sometimes, like with the Amy Carmichael one, it was, it seemed like an innocuous encounter with a poor woman, and they helped her, and, like, this is when she's a young girl. They helped her, and it, like, like something clicked in her mind mm-hmm. that she referred back to many times in the course of her own writings as a moment where she was like, I was made to help people. 
And that that small seed of just helping an old woman carry bags down a street in her hometown just clicked that that I was made to help people. Do you have do you have that element in your life? Like you have that was there a moment where like I am made this is what I'm I'm made to do. Like I'm this is this is my jam or whatever that looks I actually like kind of do. Really? Yeah. Um oh. I mean not I'm not really like living that dream inherently, but when I was in college, you know, I was doing two majors and approaching the end of two majors neither of which I really wanted to pursue. I didn't, I was doing a classical studies major. I didn't, I, I enjoyed it. I love academics. I didn't want to pursue the classical studies PhD route, which is really the only route you go when you do that, um, is you go on to teach and be a scholar. And I didn't want to be a professor. Um, and, so, and then I was doing finance and I'd did an internship in the banking world and absolutely hated it. I love math. I love numbers. I hated everything about the corporate atmosphere and even like I explored other options like boutique, you know, could I go smaller? What could I do with a finance degree? None of it appealed to me. Um, and I, at the same time, so I started volunteering with Young Life mm -hmm. and um, Young Life up until my senior year of college was entirely college student-led where I went to college. It was founded by kids who had come to the Lord through Young Life when they were in high school and got to Hillsdale and were like, there's no Young Life in this town. We're going to make it happen. And so they, these college kids, had assembled a committee based on professors and pastors and people that they knew in the community. And so it was a committee and then college student-led ministry and I got involved late my junior year, early my senior year. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of time to build relationships with kids. And partway into my very early in my senior year, they hired their first official staff person. And he was like, I'm not going to send someone that I haven't trained out to work with kids. You have to go through a year of training if you're not already working with kids. And I was like, I'm a senior. <laughs> you're going to send me through a year of training? And so I kind of subverted him. and I, I didn't subvert him I sidestepped him and didn't actually I was like you know what I'm not okay I'm not gonna work with high school kids but you're a guy and you've got this whole cadre of female leaders n all of whom were younger than I was and so I ended up sort of mentoring and running a bible study mm -hmm. for them and funny enough I had not gone the classical studies route in order to be be able to read the bible in greek I had gone the classical studies route because I just thought reading Greek and Latin would be cool. Um, and um, anyway, so I'm reading, helping these girls who are like, what does it mean in Greek? And I'm like, wow, I actually can figure this out because I read Greek. And I... It's cool. I... Nerd. Nerd alert. <laughs> See, we're both nerds in our own way. We are. I actually think that figuring out a Greek sentence is very similar to solving an algebra equation. Um, both of which... I loved doing proofs in math. Mm. That was like one of my, it was so satisfying. Um, but so anyway, um, towards the end of, uh, but like when it's getting to be decision-making time for your senior year of college, um, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, the only thing that I really love doing in all of the things that I do is this Bible study or, 
I was, I think I was leading two Bible studies at, at the time. I the, like, that's, if I could just do that, <laughs> I can't remember somebody had already, whoever, somebody in my world that I said that to had already mentioned and nudged in the seminary direction. And they were like, well, you realize that if you were to go to seminary, that is what you would like be working towards doing right. And, um, so I had, I did kind of have that sort of moment where, you know, gosh, if only I could do this and that dictated what I did after college. Um, and while I'm not doing that full time right now, I sure enjoy when I do get to do it. <clears throat> That's helpful. Cause I have one very specific memory of that moment in my life. And I was 17, 18. And I was working at a small, teeny Christian radio station in Farwell, Texas. I was um, my or music pastor at this independent Baptist church that I lived at. Um, was the station manager, and he he knew I was I played music, and just kind of thought, you know, I need I need some people. I need to hire some staff, and I trust you, and because we worked at the church a little bit. And I said, sure. So I came on board to start doing drive time sh- hosting. So I'd show up at camera if it's two or three o'clock and I would work through five or six and then the evening guy would come in and I'd do the on-air show and like this was I don't know if you've ever seen an old 1950s radio console but they're about you know they're really long and they've got knobs like modern day audio boards have faders right up and down no this had knobs and switches so I mean this was old school we had an engineer who was probably 90 years old and something would break and he would come in and he would fold that thing down and start doing elect- like old school electrical work on this thing is beyond me. But anyway, really old stuff. So I do that, but then I discovered this little room that had, you know, acoustic paneling not dissimilar to this stuff all over the walls. And uh, inside this room was a reel-to-reel machine, like the big 10-inch mm-hmm. tape reels, a digital cart machine, basically like an 8-track. Um, we use those to run commercials. And a CD player and a mixer and a microphone. I quickly discovered, and I'm, I'm gonna try to not get super nerdy on you, that I could take samples off my favorite CDs of a, of a, or a, or a, or whatever sound I wanted. I could take those samples and I could record them onto the reel-to-reel machine. And then instead of splicing, because I learned how to splice, we did a lot of tape work in college. When I was doing radio in college, we'd splice the radio. So this tape, but I, here I didn't know about splicing. So I would just hand, I knew exactly how far to use my hands to re- rewind the tape to the exact point that when I hit record, it's instantaneous. So I'll take another sample off a CD, like a drum, like a or a drum beat or something. And I'll hit record and I'll hit play at the same time. And so the tape would then play back. I was like, this is rad. And I'd start sampling everything. Then on the cart machine, you know how when you have a tape cassette player and you record over your cassette player, you record over what you pre- previously did? Not on a cart machine. It would overlay, like multi-track. So I could lay down one track and then hit record again and lay down another track. And you had to get the timing just right. And so I'd do these really complex, I'd start making these really complex productions. Usually station IDs, uh, commercials, um, promos for shows. And it got really, it was really cool. And Rick, the guy who came in, little Rick, big Indian guy, uh, Native American Indian, 
big dude, really wonderful. We called him Brother Rick. He'd come in at night and he came to me one day. He's like, man, I was making a bunch of promos. Those are so cool. Can you show me how to do those? I was like, yeah, no problem. So I showed him all my little tricks. And I think several years later, he ended up running the station and he, he was making these all the time. But what would happen was I would come in and do a full on-air shift. And then I would spend another four, five, six hours in this little teeny room. Totally lost in kind of like what I do down here. It's totally lost. I wouldn't get paid for it. It's no wonder I failed every college class that year. Um, but that's that moment. That was the moment where I thought... I could do this. I could, this is, this is legit. I could do this for a living. Prior to that, I was looking at going to recording school, recording industry of, there's a school done in Tempe, Arizona. Um, and they were like, this is a funny sideline. They were like on the application, you had to mail away for the application packet at that point, like mm-hmm. 90, Anyway, recording school of arts, rec- recording school of arts and sciences or something like that. But they had a really cool program, and all you did was audio engineering, audio mixing, and recording for uh, music. And that was, I'd been touring um, on bass with a black gospel artist at this point, so I was really into music, and that's a, probably why I started the radio stuff too. But they had a question on the back, and I had to fill out somebody in the industry I admire. I'm a high school kid in New Mexico, okay? I don't know anybody in the industry. <laughs> So I and started there's no social media back so, then. No. So I started pulling out all my CDs. Okay. On the back of every single one of my CDs was one name. Russ Long. He'd mixed all of my favorite CDs. And the guy who mixes the CDs is like basically he's setting levels. He's exactly what I do, DJing. He's EQing, he's tweaking things. That's I think what that's does, Ben right? Shive for all of right. um yeah. Andrew Peters. So this was Russ Long. Stuff. <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, I'm gonna put Russ Long on there, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway. Fast forward to 220, when was my last trip to Nashville? 2016? Might have been 2016, 2017. I was down there, I forget what I was doing. I think I was scoping a documentary project. And I met a guy named John Joseph Thompson. Wonderful dude. We geeked out about high school Christian music like nobody's business. It was, and drank beer. It was fantastic. So we should, he's like, hey, I'm going to a Steve, Ty- uh, Steve Taylor show tonight. You want to come? It's like, heck yeah, I'll come. So we go to the Steve Taylor show and he's a, he's a old school, not old school. He's a, he's a really prominent in the, in the kind of early Christian alternative days. We show up at this thing and he's introducing me to all these people. Well, just before this, while we were sitting at the bar, he asked me, I was kind of telling him the story of my life. And part of this was, was well, yeah, there was this guy named, you know, uh, Russ Long and everything. And he's nodding his head. Yeah, cool. You know, and all this other stuff. So we show up at this party and we're standing at the bar getting drinks. And he's like, oh, hey, let me introduce you to somebody. So we walk up to this gal and he's like, Jay, Tiffany, Tiffany, Jay, Tiffany, Jay's doing some film stuff. Tiffany works for film marketing, all this other stuff. So we start chatting around. And um, and then John goes, oh, he did, uh, Tiffany uh, Tiffany Long. Yeah, hey, her husband, her husband is uh, Russ Long. And I was like, no way. And I have a total geek moment. And she's just cracking up. She's like, oh, my word. And I'm like, I've had a crush on your husband for 25 years now. And she's like, who is this guy out of nowhere? So... I think on a later trip, I actually had breakfast with both her and Russ. So I finally got to meet um, Russ Long, my hero from the high school days. Anyway, really funny story. But that was my probably my moment. And I, I reflecting as we've been talking, because this is how I work. Um, 
I kind of wonder if, if I've made a mention to you earlier, you feel like you've married somebody different, but I made a comment to you earlier that I feel like for the first time in a very long time, I'm content and I'm happy doing what it is I'm doing. Just I'm happy helping out these people here. I don't, I'm not feeling like I need to go off and conquer a great battle. Except you want to move to LA. No, I do not. I absolutely do not want to move to LA. Somewhere. No, I do not want to move to LA. Um, I, I think the tie between that moment in the recording studio and what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm actually actively creating things again. And I'm not, and I was creating stuff with video, but it was different. Like my passion has always been music and audio. Uh, I mean, it's what I went to school for. That was my degree at Moody. Um, but I think it's cause I'm creating, which is why I'm not, I'm not feeling like that box may be ticked a little bit. I mean, I'm not making a living at it, obviously, but it's just, it's just doing it. So maybe that's my, maybe we've just, I've had two years of uncertainty, just totally have all sorts of clarity for me. I don't know. I'm not going to cross, I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> you married a freezing after all. We could be wandering the world, you know. Okay. I feel like we're trailing off. We are, we're about stop. done. We should have a hard stop. Can we give a hard stop? All right. So this is our hard stop. Too busy to flush. www.tb2f, the number 2f.com, or too busy to flush.com, spelled grammatically correct. And you can follow Molly on Instagram at, at molly.friesen. And I'm at jfriesen. You have to send me a request, though, and tell me that you know me. Oh, she's private. Yeah. Um, you can also, questions. if you don't want to do that, you can just follow too busy to flush at too busy to flush uh or tb2f i think on instagram we're on instagram too so do that download us in your favorite podcast player rate us five stars the normal thing show us your love it helps it helps makes us famous it helps makes us famous and send us your notes if there's something you want to talk about or you want to be on the show you know we're happy to have you on the show we can figure it out that's what i do i tinker (laughs) any final words my love before we retire to our bedroom. If you've made it this far, thanks. (laughs) 